So here we are in the book of Daniel. And uh, what we're going to do here tonight is we're going to, we'll take a verse or two at a time. And as we go through about the first four verses, we're going we're gonna to set up where we are here tonight in Daniel 1, as well as the totality of the book. Because we need to know where we are in scripture, what's happening. This isn't a historical book, but it fits in historically after the book of Kings, uh, Second Kings and Second Chronicles, we read there about um, Judah, the northern tribes uh, going, or, or the, the southern tribes there going into captivity. And then we read about uh, them coming out of that in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And the book of Esther is about those who stay in Persia. Well, you could take the book of Daniel and you could put it right there in the middle of those books, but it's a prophetic book, so it's there after Ezekiel, which is around this time as well, and Jeremiah is right before that, and we'll refer to Jeremiah tonight. So that's where we are. Again, Israel had been established for quite a long time. We'll see tonight that they had been getting warnings that they needed to repent of their sin. Part of their covenant with God was if they uh, walked in obedience, that eventually they would go into captivity. And again, the book of Daniel is during the Babylonian captivity, a 70-year captivity. And uh, the book centers around, of course, Daniel and his three companions, especially there in the beginning, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know them best by uh, a lot of their exploits here and great steps of faith and obedience in these first first six chapters with a little bit of prophecy. uh, And then really the last six chapters, a lot of prophecy with a little bit of exploits. But listen, it all goes together. A lot of end times prophecy in here, and well, as well as a lot of prophecy that's already been fulfilled. And it's a phenomenal book for that. I mean, there's things in the book of Daniel that were prophesied in his day that came, uh, came to pass soon after. And it's just, it's just phenomenal. It's a faith builder. Uh, it is an equipping book uh, in that we want to learn from these men and how they live their lives and how they walk by faith. How, listen, this is huge, and we'll get into it tonight, how they purposed in their heart to serve the Lord no matter what would come along. How they always spoke the truth. They walked in love without bending a knee to anybody but the Lord. And listen, this is for us today. This is the kind of people that God's called us to be and who God wants us to be and God will empower us to be. And we're going to see these men blessed and provided for and God making a way at every single turn. And in fact, tonight, we'll be able to contrast their steps of faith and obedience with some steps that didn't revolve around faith and were uh, rebellious. And, and, and we'll see the differences in these things. And we're not talking about, you know, walking for great prosperity in the sense of riches and wealth like these false money preachers talk about, but walking in the joy of the Lord and walking in expectation And walking knowing that you're walking with him and he's going before you. And he will provide all your needs. Whether it is uh, great wealth and prosperity needed for his glory. Or just the next meal like he so often did with Elijah. When that, you know, bird would come with the next meal. Or the widow would, you know, say, I only got enough food for just me and my child here. And we're going to die. And he's like, well, make me some cakes and whatnot. And, you know, like, and the Lord just kept providing for him. And that's the God who we serve. Isn't that exciting tonight? And uh, so many people running around the world tonight, you know, in so much fear and so much worry about what's going to come next. And you know what? If they don't know the Lord, they have reason to have worry and fear. But in Christ, we know who we are. 
we know we have a future and a hope, and we know that our God is with us. So that's the pre-sermon. Let's get into the, into the message here. Hopefully that set things up a little bit. Uh, notice here the first verse. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jeho- Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And so let's start by talking about why Jerusalem was being besieged, and then we'll start to talk about Nebuchadnezzar, and then in verse 2, Jehoiakim, and uh, why this was happening, and specifically to him, and so forth. So Jerusalem was being besieged, and and this would be a picture again, and and remember these cities were walled to keep uh, uh, enemies from coming out. That was very common back in that day, and Jerusalem is actually incredibly set up against uh, enemies and so forth. In fact, when David took Jerusalem, uh, the Jebusites that were there, they mocked the Jews. They mocked Israel, and they said, listen, you can't send anyone up here and take this place. It it, it can't be penetrated. And remember Joab, who was in David's doghouse, you know, and he was able to go through the water shaft, and they were able to take Jerusalem. And it was a miraculous, you know, thing that took place. And then, of course, David set up that being as the, the capital of Israel, then eventually Judah and so forth. And here they are some, you know, at 400 and, and you know, 70 or so years later, somewhere in there. And, uh, you know, it couldn't be penetrated by Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to talk a lot about him in this book, the king of Babylon. So what did they do? They went and they besieged it. They surrounded it. And this would be an effort to keep supplies from coming in. Basically, we're going to starve you out. We're going to wait here as long as we need to wait for you to surrender or for you to try to escape and as for us to, to haunt you down or hunt you down or, or how, however long it takes, that's how we're, long we're going to be here to overtake you. And as we'll touch on a little bit tonight, and again, Lord willing, we'll get into the book, Babylon was the, the superpower of the day. They were conquering nation after nation. They would conquer more nations after this. Eventually, remember, Nebuchadnezzar would be filled with so much pride because he was a man that was really ruling the known world as they knew it. Instead of giving glory to God, he would be sent out in the field for seven years. But praise God, his humbling, God God loved him so much, he humbled him, and it would lead to his salvation and calling out to the Lord. So they're besieging the city. And listen, this is happening because of Israel and Judah's disobedience notice jeremiah 25 we'll read this together 8 down through verse 11 and jeremiah prophesied in the days leading up to this and he called out time and time again for judah to repent he talked about them you know going into captivity if they did not he pleaded with them and they didn't want to listen to him they wanted to listen to the false prophets who told them hey everything's going to be okay and remember we touched on the all of a discourse that this was actually in a time of great prosperity in judah maybe the second most prosperous time going back to the time of solomon and david and so forth they were prospering and so here comes jeremiah calling them to repent pointing them to scripture showing them again captivity was coming because of their disobedience to god but they didn't want to listen to him in fact more than once they arrested him they threw him down into you know at the sewage pits and so forth they want to listen to the false prophets hey come tell us what we want to hear, as I say oftentimes, they basically sung, tell us lies, tell us sweet little lies. You know what? Just comfort our flesh. But Jeremiah, at one point, Jeremiah, you're like, I thought we we're talking about Daniel. 
This leads into Daniel. Jeremiah just said, I ain't going to say anything anymore because they don't want to receive it. And it says he shut his mouth, but then he said the word of God so burned in his heart that he had to speak it. And he had to tell them and so forth. Uh, unfortunately, though, they didn't want to receive it. Notice Jeremiah 25, 8. Jeremiah said to him, uh, as the Lord moved him, he says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, will bring them against this land, its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make an astonishment and a hissing and a perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of myrrh, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone, the light of the lamp, and this whole land shall be a desolation and astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon. This is key here, 70 years. Again, there was just a, a continual rebellion already in Israel in the north. That's not the northerners he's talking about here. They had already gone into uh, captivity by the Assyrians. Now time had passed and Judah didn't learn from their brother's error. They continued in rebellion. There'd be times when there'd be reforms like in the day of Josiah. There were different godly kings that would bring reforms and so forth. But time and time again, they would go back to idolatry. They would go back to practicing the practices of the Canaanites around them, witchcraft, like what we talked about on Sunday, offering their children up to false gods like Moloch, practices of the Canaanites when it came to sexual immorality and so forth. And again, God would raise up prophets. God would raise up prophetess to call them to repent, but time and time again, they would harden their heart. Also a key in this 70-year captivity they would go into had to do with not letting the land rest. Because remember, every seven years, they were to have faith in God, and they were, to, they were supposed to let the land rest. They were supposed to give the land a sabbatical for seven years, which we know is the best thing you can do for that land. So you don't deplete it of all the minerals and so forth, and they didn't want to do that. And so, listen, they owed God 70 years of sabbatical, and I'll tell you the truth here tonight, you can't cheat God, and you can't rob God. And so he was going to take that 70 years to have that land rest, and he was going to take that 70 years as a time of correcting Judah, to get their eyes back on the Lord, to get them groping for the Lord. Because listen, this, there was something greater going on here than, than just their prosperity. God had promised the Messiah, he had promised that the Lord Jesus Christ would come through the tribe of Judah. And at the direction she was going, she was so blending with the world and so forth. And we know there were nations around her that were trying to destroy her as they were under a spirit of antichrist. God needed to intervene to correct them. And listen, there's often times when God will do that in our lives. You know, we know the Lord, we love the Lord, but it's easy to start to drift from the Lord. And those that know the Lord and love Him, God is always faithful to correct them. We're going to correct this drift we're going to bring a trial of correction. Have you ever had a trial of correction? There's also trials of perfection. A lot of times it's a dual trial of correction and perfection. So he was bringing them to a trial of correction. 
And he said, in that time, again, you're not going to hear the voice of myrrh and gladness, the bridegroom and the bride. You're not going to hear the millstone, so there's going to be no work, no industry. Uh, the, the, you know, at the light of the Lamb, I'm, he says, I'm going to shut it all down to correct you. And listen, when I read that, I couldn't help but to think a little bit about the last six months here in our country. There's been a lot of things that have been shut down, right? I was blessed on Saturday to see my son get married right here on this stage. And uh, we had about 250 people here. And with that, there were still tons and tons of relatives because they just know so many people. And I blame Maddie, his wife, because she has so many relatives around here. Some of them couldn't even come. But I was told by everybody, there hasn't been a wedding this big around here in six months. And people saying, listen, in a lot of these communities, there's people not even getting married. We're blessed around here to have a lot more freedoms. And uh, the, the gal who, who did the photography, who, who uh, ballad, who goes to our fellowship, she showed us pictures of, of a, another wedding she did recently. And they did the family photos, and they're all spread out wearing masks. <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous here. <laughs> We're getting into silly town here and whatnot. But, but you see it. You see a lot of this. I mean, I saw, I saw and, and I, I can't get on rants here, so I'm trying to be careful. We might not get through the, full, the whole chapter because we're already 12 minutes in. But I know San Luis Obispo, they're, they're one of the leading cities in America for restaurants being shut down. And I think that, that a lot of this is God wanting to correct us. God wanting us to get on our faces and cry out to the Lord. And it seems like the areas and the states that are the most godless are the ones getting the most correction. And yet are they calling out to them? Now, I know God has made a way for me, and I know God's making a way for my brothers and sisters, and he always does that, amen? But there's a correction that God's wanting even to bring to this land. And I said at the beginning of these things, I think it was a prophetic word, if the church doesn't get revived through this, the whole thing's a waste. Because this is about getting us revived and get our eyes back on the Lord. And that's what this captivity that they were going into was about. Now, this is beautiful here, because they were going into that captivity but God would be faithful to them. And God's faithful to his children even when he corrects us. Jeremiah 20, 11, or 29, 11. It's, it's one of the most quoted verses in the Old Testament. But you got to understand the context. It's in that time they're getting ready to go into that captivity. Jeremiah 29 says, says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you, perform my good word towards you, and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. A lot of times people quote that verse in the middle of the beginning of a trial to try to wish the trial away. That's not what that verse is about. That verse is about for 70 years, you're going through a trial of correction. I'll take that little rev as an amen. <laughs> a trial of correction, and I'm going to be with you. It's going to be difficult. You're going to hear tongues, people speaking another language, and that's going to be a sign to you that you are in a foreign place. But listen, I'm working this for your good. You need to be corrected because the direction you're going in is not good. The future and the hope spoken of here, listen, it's predominantly speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to this world. And listen, Christ and an only Christ do you have a future and a hope. Everything outside of that is a false hope and a false temporary future. Now listen, we read about Nebuchadnezzar. 
and we'll get more into him, Lord willing, down the road. But through all this as well, listen, God wasn't just using this for, for Israel and Judah's good. He was using this for the good of the nations around them. We know Nebuchadnezzar would eventually come to faith in the Lord himself through seeing the, the, the work of God through Daniel and his companions and so forth. And listen, they'd be a great witness to the Babylonians. We'll see in this book more than once there's a decree made about the God of Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he should be honored and so forth because God didn't bring Christ through Israel just for Israel. Yes, salvation is to the Jew first, but he brought God, uh, the, the Lord brought, you know, God brought Christ through Israel so all the families of the earth would be blessed. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you're reading about this tonight. This isn't just about them back there at that time. This is about you tonight. And God being faithful to you. God being faithful to me. Listen, despite us and despite our sin and our transgressions. He is such a good God. Amen. Amen. Now verse 2 says, And the Lord gave uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God. And he carried them into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure of his God. Now, Jehoiakim is the grandson of Josiah. And listen, Josiah is one of the the greatest kings in the history of Judah. I think maybe you can make the argument he was the greatest. And now Sunday we'll see David was a man after God's own heart there in Acts. Um, And they're all unique in themselves, and we really shouldn't compare one another. But this was a great, great man of God. Listen, he came, became king when he was eight years old in a time of great rebellion. His grandfather was a guy named Manasseh who was by far the most wicked king of all the kings of Judah. But praise God, at the end of his life, he repented, which is just a, a phenomenal. That's another sermon at another time, a phenomenal picture of God's grace. And so Josiah had a son who sadly rebelled against God. And then he had a son named Jehoiakim, Again, Josiah's grandson, who instead of following in the steps of his grandfather, followed in the steps of his father, and he was a wicked king. And listen, this was one of the kings that was warned time and time again by Jeremiah. There were multiple kings that were warned by him because these guys just came up and they went down right there at the end, one after another after another, and this captivity really came in four waves. But we see this Daniel starting here with Jehoiakim. And listen, he was warned, and yet he shunned the word. Notice Jeremiah 36, 1. It says, Now it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, against all the nations from the day I spoke to you, from the days Josiah even to this day. So he tells Jeremiah, Write down the word of God and take it to the king. Verse 3, it says, that it may be that the house of Judah will hear all, uh, hear all the ad, uh, adversities which I purpose to bring upon them. And notice, that every man may turn from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and sin. This is phenomenal. Go tell them the word in hopes that they would repent, because I just, I want to forgive them. I want to wash them of their sins. I want to put them in right standing with me, that's who our God is. Isn't he a good God? He, he's a God who wants to save. Now, sin damns us, but he sent his son to save us. And they have the promise of the Savior coming. 
And the Lord's just wanting this so bad. He's, he's wanting to wash him. He's wanting to cleanse him. He's wanting to heal him. He's wanting to wrap his arms around him. That's who our God is. But notice farther down there in Jeremiah 36, 23, and it happened with Jehudai read three or four columns that the king cut it with the scribe's knife and cast it in the fire that was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. This guy cut up God's word and he threw it in fire. That's the most foolish thing that anyone can do. And yet even right now in our country, there's Bible burdings going on and taking place in some of these cities. So sad. So sad. Such a sad time. And there's so many people that they might not be burning the word of God, but they're cutting it up. They're shredding it. They say, we don't want anything to do with it. Notice here, verse 24. Yet they, those that brought the word, were not afraid. And that's where we need to be. God wants us to be a people that are fearless, walking by faith, knowing who our God is. Nor did they tear, oh, sorry, out of context. This is talking about the king not fearing God. They didn't fear either. We'll get to them. The king didn't fear. He didn't have a fear of God. Nor did they tear their garments, the king nor any of his servants who, are these, who heard all these words. Nevertheless, uh, Elnathan, uh, Deliah, uh, Gomorrah implored the king not to burn the scroll. So the men around him said, don't do it, but he wouldn't listen to him. And the king commanded uh, Jeremiel, the king's son, uh, Sariah, Sarai, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdil, to seize Barak the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet. So he says, seize those guys, Jeremiah and uh, Barak, his, his assistant. Notice here, but the Lord hit him. The Lord hit him. And this is a theme you see throughout this. Again, no fear of God with the, the political leadership. These men walking fearlessly in the face of the greatest dangers that you could think of, threats of losing their life. Instead of shrinking back, they were bold, and even more threats were put against them, God hit them, and God made a way. And we got to remember that. We're going to see, even tonight, we'll get, we'll get to it, Daniel, you know, standing the same way, and God making a way for him. Listen, we've seen it in the book of Acts. God making a way in every chapter, right? God making a way. Even James, who was martyred, God made a way home, <laughs> Stephen that was martyred, God made a way. Peter's in prison, God made a way. Later on, Paul and Silas put in jail, but guess what? God made a way. And God's going to make a way. And listen, it's an exciting thing when you say we're going to walk by faith and we're going to be obedient to God's word, even with the law of the land contradicts God's word. God's word triumphs over the law of the land every single time. We honor God's word and God will make a way. And listen, we're at the time where even in our own land, there's dictates and things going out that contradict God's word. And yet God has made a way. God's made a way for us all summer. And it's been glorious. And now we're in the fall and God's making a way. And I know God's going to make a way as we hit in the winter to come together and worship the Lord and so forth. And listen, we've walked in obedience and all we've been is blessed by it, haven't we? I mean, look, we're blessed here tonight. Will you want to be in that old building in there right now? We got air conditioning going on out here. The glorious thing. That's a big hearty amen for that air conditioning. Listen, as a result of this, of him burning God's word, this is the fruit of disobedience. Second Chronicles 36.5, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. 
And he did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him and bound him in bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. That does not sound inviting or comfortable or good. Nebuchadnezzar always carried, also carried off some of the articles of the house of the Lord to Babylon, which we just read about there in verse 2. And he carried them down to the land of Shinar, where Babylon was. This is where modern-day Iraq is, near uh, Baghdad. And this is where we read about the Tower of Babel in Genesis. And it says that God had told men to, uh, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. You need to scatter. And God wanted them to scatter. We read in the book of Acts. Why? So that they would grow for God. That they're not out here dependent upon one another, walking in humanism, but they'd go out of faith that everywhere they went, they'd be dependent upon God. But man was in rebellion. And we read about a man named Nimrod, one of the first types of Antichrist we read in the scripture, saying, listen, come to me and I'll protect you. And he was called the great hunter. And no doubt he you know, said, I'll, I'll, I'll protect you from all the wild beasts because things changed after the flood. But really, he was a hunter of men's souls. And they all gathered them to him there in the plain of Shinar. The climate was just, just perfect. And they said, this is the place for us to come together or whatnot, and it's all going to be good. But we know what happened, right? God went down to see what they were doing as they were building that tower, which was a symbol of rebellion against God. It was a symbol that said, even if all the earth flooded, we're going to live, because we'll just go up the tower. And some have presented the idea that it was also being built out of the thought, we're going to, fact, we're going to build this tower all, all the way up to heaven, and then our man here is going to lead us, and we're going to go defeat God. This is where they were taken. Now, we know at the end of the age, we read in Revelation about Babylon again. And a, a, a Babylonian economy, a, a Babylonian religion, a Babylonian government that's going to rule this world. And we talked about this so many times in our study there in the Olivet Discourse. That listen, at the end of this dispensation, this age, we know that we touched on this Sunday, demons are going to go out. And it's going to bring all the kings of the earth together there in Israel. You know, they'll be there in the, in the valley of Armageddon. In the valley of Jezreel, it's also called. And they're surrounding Jerusalem. And then all the way down in that Dead Sea area, all the way down to Basra, the, the entry gate there to uh, Petra. And, and they're going to be there. And it's going to be the same stupidity. We're going to fight against God and we're going to defeat him. And I'll say it. I say it every time when I talk about this. Listen, that's how stupid sin makes you. And I don't think we've been reminded of that enough. These guys think they're going to defeat God, and they're going to lose. And God's going to set up, again, a millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this, what we're reading about here tonight, is in the middle of that time. And, and Babylon is the superpower. And so it's kind of a, a middle time of, of Babylon, or even the spirit of Babylon, or Babel that we read in the Scripture. This kingdom would eventually fall as well but again in the end times this is being raised up again the the spirit of babylon i call it and you know a lot of people make a lot of this it's that but we just see it going on all around us don't we where we have this push to this one world government this one world false religion which even sadly a lot of people who say they're christians are are gravitating to and and are a part of as well as a one world uh economy and you know a lot of people think this whole this whole germ 
nonsense is, is about, you know what, pushing towards a one-world uh, uh, economy and so forth. And, oh, we won't take your money. We might get the germ, you know, uh, credit card only and whatnot. And what, what's up with the change? Does pe- do people have change now? For a while, I was like, no one has change, you know. We need change. And, you know, there's all this stuff. And listen, we're, we're not, most of the stuff, you know, it, it might be a conspiracy if you don't have a Bible. But if you got a Bible, you see, this ain't no conspiracy. I know what's going on here, man. Isn't it good to know the Lord and have his love letter and have insights from the scripture? And so, listen, Daniel and his friends would be going into this Babylonian captivity. And in many ways, we are in a Babylonian captivity. Now, we got freedom in Christ, Amen. We, we got grace. God is going before us. We're not under the law that condemns us. We're under grace that saves us. But in many ways, we are in a captivity. We really are. You're like, I'm, I'm free. Well, try not pay, don't pay your taxes on your house for a few years and see how free you are. Oh, my house is finally paid off. Is it really? And I'm like, man, Steve, I came to get encouraged not to... You start thinking about it. Something sold and it's taxed. Then you sell it and it's taxed. You made an income off that. That's taxed. The new person gets it. They got to buy some parts for it to fix it. It's taxed. Then it's sold and it's taxed and so forth. Listen, our founding fathers would be rolling over in their graves. The Boston Tea Party, there were no taxes back then compared to today. And listen, I'm saying this not to go on a rant, but listen, we're in a type of captivity. Now again, he who the Son makes free is free indeed. Is that not good news? But very much like Daniel and his, his three friends, listen, they, they had freedom in the Lord, but they were in a captivity. They had to function in that captivity. God would even have great roles for them in that captivity, political roles. They were in it, but they were not of it. And that's what God wants to show us. One of the main things he wants to show us in this book, we are in a captivity, but we are not to be of it. In fact, in Revelation, where it says, come out of her, my people, he's specifically talking about Babylon and the spirit of Babylon that gets judged. And so again, the first six chapters speak much of their exploits of saying, we're not going to take a knee. We're going to keep praying. We're not bowing down to this system. We're going to work within it. We're going to be the best workers. We're going to excel as the Spirit of God would be all over them. We're going to be a blessing. It's like we're doing out here. We're worshiping. We're trying. We're, we, we want to be a blessing, though. We're outside. We could all go cram in that room right now. I do it with a clear conscience. But I think this is the wiser thing to do. I think God's given us wisdom in it. God will give them great wisdom. And I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to toot my horn. What I'm saying is God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And these lessons are for us here tonight. And again, the second half of the book has to do with a lot of prophecy. There's some prophecy in the first six chapters, a lot in the last six, and some exploits, and then it it, it just kind of reverses. So verse 3 here. It says, Then the king instructed Ashpenzah, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, 
possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. And uh, there's a few guys in the Bible that we know these guys were, these were guys were handsome because the Bible says they were. Guys like Joseph, Saul, David, Daniel. You know, if God says you're good looking, then, you know, we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. But listen, what was going on here is something that is going on right now. What they said is, let's go find some potential influencers. Let's find some guys, some young men, who are easy on the eyes. They're not blemished. It's just easy. You want to look at these guys. They're so darn handsome. And that's, that's the truth. That's what, oh, you know, let's not talk. That's, that's what's going on. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made, amen? These men, though, were easy to look at. They were handsome in appearance. And listen, that, that shouldn't be and doesn't have to be perverse. They, they were, they were good-looking men. They weren't blemished. They had wisdom. They, they, they had knowledge, and they, they learned fast. They were fast learners. And again, they also had an ability to serve in the king's palace. So they had a skill set and so forth. Let's get these guys in because, listen... It's a fallen world, and it shouldn't necessarily be this way, but generally these are the types of individuals that are influencers on cultures. It's just the truth of the matter. If someone's being offended by that, it's it's not my intent to uh, offend you, but we're being truthful here. We're looking at God's word. Let's get them and let's immerse them in the language and literature of the Chaldeans. In a second here, they'll, they'll, they'll want to bathe them in pleasure and so forth. To begin to move them from worshiping God to embracing the Babylonian good life. So that they can then go out and influence their brothers and sisters to follow along. These that they would look to and so forth. Again, their their descendants are related to the king, the nobles. They're high up. So then on top of that, they're good looking. They're smart. They learn quick. They have ability. And they're really not jerks because, listen, they, they serve too. So obviously they were looking for a humility as well. They weren't looking for men of rebellion. You can have those qualities. And, and, and again, so a lot of people look at that, oh, that, that guy's a jerk. That person's a jerk. No, not necessarily. You can have all those qualities. We all have qualities and in all of them. We got a choice to be a jerk in those or give glory to God. And these guys obviously had a humility on, about them. So that was the aim. Let's get these guys in here that could be influencers. We'll train them up to influence the other people. We're going to draw them away from their God to worship our gods. We want them to lose their identity and take on this new identity. Because, listen, at this point in the world, they have learned, why would we just destroy all these nations when we can convert them? And this is why they'd even take them out of a land, and they would put them in a new land, and they'd take that people, and they'd put them in that other land. That's where we get the Samaritans. They were put in there where the northern tribes were. And that's why, you know, the, the Jews hated them in the days of Jesus. They're like, these aren't our brothers. But they said, no, we are. And we got into all that in the book of John. But, but this is what's going on today. Listen, it's not by chance that some of the most talented, and here are this, foul entertainers in the world also claim to be Christians. I don't know their heart. But on one day when they're saying, oh, God is love, and it's always, you know what, a compromised God of the Bible. 
And they're always hanging in the houses of heretics. They're hanging with the Joe Osteens of the world, the T.D. Jakes of the world, the Hillsongs, Carl Lentz's of the world. Their music is foul. Their movies are foul. Perverse. It's the things that are indoctrinating our children that is destroying our youth. And then out of nowhere, hey, I'm a Christian, and yet all the foul stuff keeps going. And they go to the house of heretics, sits down on a stage, and so many Christians say, oh, man, that's a Christian. I, I want to just be like the Beeb. You know the Beeb. Not the Beaver, not, not Jerry Mathers, but Justin Bieber's. And I listen, I don't, I don't know the guy's heart, but I'm called to judge the fruit and the doctrine, and it's, it's whack. It ain't godly. And listen, there's a lot of things that Kanye West has said that's good. I know he's a Christian. Then why are all those perverted, pornographic videos still on YouTube? And he's a mogul. He's making the money off that. He can take that down tonight. It's the same thing. And so many Christians buy it hook, line, and sinker. It's the reason why Jen Hampmaker is the leading evangelical author when she's neither evangelical or a good author. She just is so excited because her daughters come out as a homosexual. And instead of saying, my heart breaks because this is rebellion against God. And the scripture says those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Instead, she's saying every pastor is now obligated to embrace these lifestyles according to the gospel of Jen Hampmaker versus the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a destructive lifestyle that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you from and to deliver you out of. And where did she get her fame? HGTV. And now all of a sudden she's preaching to us? Do you guys see it? Listen, I'm here not to pick on these folks and so forth. They're just sinners like anyone else that need to be saved, but they're puppets. And once you see this, guess what? You're going to see it everywhere you look, and you've got to step back and say, who am I going to be influenced by? Justin Bieber or the Apostle John? Kanye West or King David? Which one? And again, I don't know their hearts. Maybe these guys are genuinely saved, but I know the fruits, and it ain't godly. And I know the doctrine, it ain't godly. It's not. Got real quiet out here. Someone's like, man, I got... <laughs> Listen, we are not to be conformed to this world. We are called to be transformed. And there are a lot of influencers trying to conform the body of Christ to this world. And the things they walk in and how they entertain. And you're like, but I'm entertained. So what? Are we so shallow that I just got to be entertained though, so I got to support this. It ain't going to influence me. Do not be deceived. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. What you're sowing in your heart is going to produce either fruits of the Holy Ghost or the works of the flesh. When Pastor Steve's preaching tonight. Listen to Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. They were trying to indoctrinate these men that they would influence others to follow. Verse 5, And the king appointed them daily provisions of the king's delicacies and wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so at the end of that time they might serve before the Lord. So they wanted to indoctrinate them with, with the literature and the teaching of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, and then they also said, listen, we're going to give you daily portions of the king delicacies and wine. We are going to appease your flesh to try to temper your spirit. These delicacies, delicacies were sinful for these Jewish boys to eat. They went against the Levitical law, a whole lot of them. Meats that they weren't supposed to eat. They weren't to be drunk with wine. But the tactic was, again, let's, let's give them such a dose of pleasure that will move them from wanting to be soldiers for the Lord to being soft for Satan. Now, there's nothing wrong with pleasures. I, I feel greatly blessed. I think this is a... I think that tonight, this is a pleasurable place to be. I know the seats you're sitting on are comfortable. I know that air feels good on the back of your neck. I mean, this is beautiful. I'm amazed every time we get out here, I get praise to God. This is beautiful. There's nothing wrong with pleasures, provided it's within biblical boundaries. and does not take precedence over Jesus Christ, the giver of good gifts, that we're thankful and so forth. But sadly, in our culture today, most peop- to most people, pleasure is their God. This is my opinion. This is scriptural. 2 Timothy 3.1, But know this, in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. It goes through a whole list of foulness. And then it says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. Is that indoctrination we just talked about from influencers, but denying its power from such people, do what? Turn away. And if it's in us, it needs to be crucified. Let's just give them so much pleasure that it tempers their spirit. Make sure that you do not love pleasure more than God. It's an easy place to fall into. Make sure you do not love money more than God. Make sure you do not love yourself more than God. And that's another fat lie. You know what? I can't love God until I first love myself. Dude, quit reading the Jen Hatmaker books. You already love yourself. That's why Jesus said the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Because you got no problem doing that. None of us do. Now, there's probably a lot of stuff we don't like about ourselves, right? That's legit. Stuff we want to be, see changed. We want to grow in the Lord, amen? Nothing wrong with being truthful. But listen, the reason we don't like it and we're so obsessed with those things we don't like is because we love ourselves. Because you see things in strangers you don't like, you're like, okay, well, whatever, that's their problem. You just go home and go to bed. You don't obsess with it. It all makes sense if you think it through. And listen, there's so many Christians today, and all of us as well, so many times are in those places we love pleasure over the Lord. Listen, we're, we're, in, we're, we're drunk with it in the West. 
We are drunk with it in America. We get it preached to us from the time we're born that life's about the pursuit of pleasure. I mean, what's everyone working for? The weekend. Why? You're going to go have fun and pleasure. You're getting all the 80s tonight. All the 80s songs and a, and, a, and a Bieber and a Kanye reference here. This is relevant. I'm not just making jokes. It's funny, but this is true. This is relevant to us tonight. This is the most cultural, relevant book in the entire world. <laughs> Verse 6. Now from among those, the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. There's a lesson here as well. These aren't just names. These are names that refer to the Babylonian gods. Belshazzar, it means, may Bel protect his life. Who's Bel? He's Baal or Belzebub. Daniel's Babylonian name was, may Satan protect his life. I don't know about you, but I don't really want to go by that. Shadrach means command a coup or send the moon god. Who's the moon god? It's Allah. The God of Islam, that demon God. Meshach is who is Aku. So Shadrach, Meshach, their name was associated with Aku, the men God. And then Abednego means servant of Nego or Nebo. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, Nebo comes up more than once. Even Mount Nebo, named after a pagan god, supposedly the god of writing and vegetation. They got a god for everything. And this was an effort to get them to do what? To identify with Babylon. We don't want you identifying anymore with Judah, with the God of the Hebrews. We want you to find your identity here. Listen, this is going on today as well. We need to be finding our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a guy getting ready to come to our town right before the pandemic, and I prayed to God that he would not be allowed to come and the pandemic hit, and he did not come. So I'm the reason. My prayer is the reason why it happened. And he was coming in to teach youth in our community that you can identify as a homosexual and be a Christian. Now listen to his credit. He was saying the actions are sinful. But if you got those feelings and attractions, that's okay. You can, be, you can call yourself a gay Christian. I about fell over because the church he was coming to, I know back in the day, wouldn't touch this guy with a 10-foot pole. And I said, oh, Lord, this man's coming in the light of these kids. And I thought about the little junior high boys that I see, you know, that, that, that their mom's dressing them in effeminate attire. And they're going to school, and they're telling the kids they're a bisexual or a pansexual or whatever. You know, there's like 64. And I thought about some of the little girls I've coached in softball in 6th, 7th grade saying, that they're lesbians and they like girls, uh, not boys. That I prayed for every day out there and God has shared Jesus with and saw some of them come to youth group. Tell them about the Lord. Whatever sin God delivered you out of is what you were. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we do not identify with that. We identify with who we are in Jesus Christ. 
And yet these lies are being peddled. Quickly, second, or 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Please notice verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's who you are. You might be a Christian struggling with those things. But that's all it is. You're a new creation in Christ. You're washed by the blood of the Lamb. You are positionally right with God under grace. And practically, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. I get a little passionate about this. And I think if I wasn't, you should haul me off this stage and never let me on it again. Because these are things destroying our children. And if you don't have a pulse about it, you think I'm an error, I rebuke you right now. You're wrong about that. We're talking about kids' souls hanging in the balance. I think most of you are in agreement on it. Verse 8. This is giant here. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And as we go read further, his, his three friends were on the same page. And this is the key verse, I think, maybe of the entire book of Daniel in the sense of, of, of the, the practical lesson in Babylon. He purposed in his heart. He got there. He saw everything going on. I mean, he's taken into captivity. And he determined in his heart. He was dead set, steadfast. He said, I'm 100% in for God, and I will not sin. I will not pollute my body. I will not stain my soul. I will not desecrate my person. If I lose my life, so be it. In fact, later on in the book, when the his three friends won't build, bend their knee to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. They say, if we die, we die. That's all right, but we will not bow. He's saying, no, I won't sell my soul. Hear this. He's saying, I will not lay down my integrity to appease you. When you do that, you, you give away a little bit of your soul. I won't harden my heart. I won't budge an inch. I will not deny my God. And listen, we have to take on that mentality as followers of Christ in this day we are living in. We need to be grounded in Christ and have a heart that says, I will serve the Lord, come what may. And you can't have a mentality. Well, listen, if, if, if a sin shows itself, I might dabble a little bit. Men. Do not have the mentality when you are on your computer or phone. If the porn stuff comes up, I might take a little peek. Because you know what you're going to do? Take a little peek. And that destroys your soul. The Bible says an adulteress turns men into a piece of bread. We're called to be men of God. And if you struggle with that, God bless you. A lot of men do. I'm praying for you. But there's deliverance and victory found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The point being this, in all things, we have to purpose in our heart ahead of time. And that starts on our knees before the Lord and a relationship with Christ. I will serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Period. I'm going to purpose in my heart. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a soldier for the Lord. And I won't waffle. 
And if I do waffle, I'm not going on a bender, a sin bender. I'm going to turn to the Lord, let him wash my feet, because my body, my heart's washed. And a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. I'm going to get up, I'll repent, I'm going to learn from it. And I'll work Christian soldier. Can we say amen to that tonight? And listen, the enemy will tell you every time, don't do that, don't do that, there's death in that. The world will say, don't do that, don't do that. Spineless Christians will say, you're going to lose your rights if you do that. You already lost them if you don't do that. Throughout the scripture, we see men and women of God blessed when they say, I will stand my ground in the Lord. And we see God going before them. Think about those midwives in Exodus when they were called to kill babies. They said, we will not do that. And God blessed them and made a way for them. Think about Joseph when Potiphar's wife's trying to get him in bed. And he could have said, listen, I'm good looking and I deserve this. And he said, no, why should I sin against God? God blessed him. Think about these four men in this book. Whether it's bending knee to the, the statue saying no or saying you can't pray and the window's kicking open and saying I'm not going to go hide. I'm going to step by faith. I'm going to pray for all y'all can see three times a day to my God. Listen, at every turn, God went before him. Throughout the book of Acts, God always makes a way oh lord get that into our hearts listen i'm preaching to myself here tonight as well verse 9 now god had brought daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs guess what god's blessing their obedience god's making a way and the chief of the eunuchs said to daniel i fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink for why, sh- why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you will endanger my head before the king. It's a good point. This stuff's supposed to make you healthy, and if you don't eat it, they're coming to me. I'm, I'm supposed to be the dietician here. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. And let them give us vegetables. Really the word is pulse. It means grains, nuts, anything that grows from seeds to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you. And the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies as you see fit. So deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. God's making a way of escape for them. God's giving them wisdom. God's giving them favor in places where people say you'll never get favor there God gave them that favor now I'm sure that it helped that they were men of God that they were humble men but God gave them the favor it's the same God today praise God 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And he's making an escape for them. And this wasn't so much about them fasting. Hear about this? Oh, the Daniel diet. This is obedience to God. This was them saying, listen, in the king's delicacies, there's all kinds of meat. But I could be the guy that says, well, is that, is that from a cow or a, is that one of those kangaroos? They just said, listen, we can't, my opinion, we can't deviate what's meat, but we can eat anything that's pulse. We can eat grains, we can eat nuts, whatever. 
This ain't some statement, we're going to be vegetarians or vegans. Unless you've got freedom in Christ, eat what you want. Go on a sugar diet if you want. It ain't good for you. And there's a place for fasting, absolutely. We've talked about that recently. This was about obedience to God. We're not going to drink that wine. Notice 15. I think we'll be able to finish because we'll go fast. At the end of 10 days, their features appeared better. And New King James says fattier. It's really healthier in the flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Listen, they ate poles for 10 days and drank water. The other guys were drinking wine nonstop and fried pork. How you going to... I'm a meat eater myself, and there's definitely a place for protein, and that was part of the Levitical diet. I had some awesome lamb the other night. It was beautiful. I thought about my Jewish brothers. But pull some water. You're going to be a lot healthier in 10 days than wine and fried pork, sea rat, shrimp, and all that kind of stuff, so forth. Thus the steward took away the portion of their delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables or pulse. As for the young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature, wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Listen, a few weeks ago we talked about the talents. Invested two, got two more. Invested five, got five more. These men invested their talents. They stepped down in faith. We're going to serve God. And what did God do? He blessed them. He multiplied their ability. That's what happens when you walk by faith. They already were knowledge. They already had wisdom. God gave them more. God gave them skills. He gave Daniel understanding of visions and dreams. This is a legit gift, not the guy that says, oh, I'll interpret your dreams. Whatever dream, I'll interpret. Listen, most dreams are vanity. That's scriptural. Read the book of Ecclesiastic, but there are times prophetic dreams, and God gave Daniel the ability to interpret those dreams. In fact, at one point, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and I love what he does. He says, you tell me the dream and the interpretation. I'm like, we can't do that. It's like he called the psychic hotline. Hey, what's your name? Well, why don't you tell me it? <laughs> we can't do that. I guess a demon can whisper it in their ear. Familiar spirits. So God would give him this legitimate gift and he would give that to him so that they could survive and flourish. This gift would save them time and time again because when he has that dream, he's about to kill all of the wise guys, the wise men of the land, and these young men were part of it. And then Daniel heard of this and he said, give me time. I serve the God who, who, who knows everything. And God gave him not only the interpretation, but gave him the dream. God made a way. Are we getting it tonight? God made a way that they could survive and not just survive, but flourish. And God would use it that they could evangelize and prophesy all to the glory of God. Because they purpose in the heart. Even if we die, we're not budging. We're not moving. We're going to be fundamental. We're not moving. We're not going to move off of truth to find some middle ground. God's the God of truth. We're standing with them. Notice 18. We'll finish it out. At the end of the days when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them. And among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. 
And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them, notice, ten times better than all the magicians, so the occultists here, the astrologers who were in all his realm. Ten times better. Why? Our God is the God of all wisdom. There, there's no comparison here. And listen, the more you yield to the Lord, hear this, the more you'll be set apart for the glory of God. And nowadays, actually, it doesn't take a whole lot because it's such a deprived world. That's why the Lord says, be a city set upon a hill. How's that happen? When we abide in Christ, we take steps of faith. Thus, Daniel continued in the first year of Cyrus. And that might look like a footnote, but really what that is, is an incredible statement. Daniel would flourish through four up to four administrations because <laughs> he said i'll purpose in my heart i'm not eating those delicacies i'm not drinking that wine <laughs> kill me if you need to i'm serving god and someone say you're gonna die you're gonna die today he didn't die he served under nebuchadnezzar his son belshazzar when they would fall to the medes and the persians he would serve under darius that's the lion's, the lion's den guy. And Cyrus, who would give the decree at the end of the seven years to build, rebuild Jerusalem. And that's another prophecy there. It's amazing. Heavenly Father, we just thank you tonight, God. We just praise you, God. We thank you for who you are, God. I thank you, God, that you have a future and hope for us in Christ. We thank you that you love us despite us, that your grace is so good. Oh, Lord God, it is my hope, God, that our faith has grown tonight. Oh, Lord, that tonight we will leave here all the more. Lord, purposing in our heart, we're going to serve the Lord. And help us in that, God. We can't do that without you. We need your word in our heart. We need a, we need a daily filling and overflowing of the Holy Spirit of God. It's not, by, it's not by chance that you said that we're to pray, lead us not into temptation. Keep us from temptation, God. Keep us from those sins that easily ensnare us. And Lord, let us be a people set apart for you in this time. Every person here, God, shine your face upon your saints tonight, God. Lord, meet us where we are, God, as only you can. And listen, if you're here tonight and you haven't called upon Christ, today is the day of salvation. Our sin damns us to hell, but Christ has come to set us free, to wash us. And the word of God says whoever, and that's everybody, anybody, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's, a, that's you saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. And I am turning from being my own. I'm turning from what I worship to put my trust, my hope in you. I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life all of my days. I believe you died for my sin and rose from the grave. Be merciful to me. Listen, he'll meet you where you're at. Call on him. If you're here, maybe you're watching online. Oh, Lord, do not let that gospel get snatched out of anyone's heart tonight. Rebuke the wicked one, the devourer, that dirty bird that would want to steal those seeds. And let that be the case in our lives as well. Lord, let the seed of this word bear 30, 60, and 100 full fruit in our life. And we love you, Lord. We praise you. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. And we said, amen. Well, God bless you. Lord willing, next week we'll get into Daniel 2. And maybe we'll have time for some questions at the end. But not tonight. So God bless you guys.